0: On a mountainside, and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boangers, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Hmm. This is the word of the Lord. We believe it. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that we would feel your presence and that you would expose areas of our heart that we are hiding and holding on to, that prevent us from knowing and walking with you more and deeper. So begin that in my own heart. I'm not immune. Lord, I am prone to wander from you. And I need you, Jesus, to keep me on the straight path of following you. So do that in all of our hearts. Amen. Maybe seated. Alright, crossing members, pop quiz. A disciple of Jesus reorients their life around what three things? Let me hear one. Be with Jesus, alright. Two, become like Jesus. And three, do what, ah, oh, do what Jesus did. That's right. Be with Jesus, a disciple of Jesus reorients their life around being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. And in this passage of Mark 3, we are going to focus on one line. Jesus went up to the mountainside, called to them who He wanted, they came to Him, and He appointed twelve, and here's where we're going to camp out, that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. then they didn't have the authority to drive out demons. A person that is following Jesus, a disciple, is, should be increasingly spending time with him, becoming like him, and doing what he did. And this passage, Jesus says here, I'm calling them so that first and foremost, they will be with me. And so I would argue that the most important aspect of being a disciple is not serving in the church. Is not giving. Is not doing things for Jesus. The most important thing a disciple of Jesus can do is be with him. Is to live a life, as John 15 describes, in union. Yes. Abiding with Jesus. The most important thing a disciple can do. You will never, you will never become like Jesus or do the things he did without first prioritizing being with Jesus. And you can measure the closeness of a relationship by how much time two people spend together. Alright, so think about this. Let's think about three relationships. Let's think about a marriage. Let's think about um, friendships. And let's think about a parent and child relationship. Alright, so in a marriage, husbands, you can measure the closeness that you are with your wife and the health, really the health by How much time you spend prioritizing things like date night. Maybe a weekend getaway. Maybe doing shared activities together. Pillow talk. The closeness of your relationship with your spouse. Can be measured by how much time you're prioritizing Those things. In fact, science is telling us that. The National Institute of Health did a study between 49 couples monitoring three types of interaction. Simple conversation that a couple, that a husband and wife had. A shared activity that they joined in together on. And the last thing they monitored was arguments. So they're even saying like, look, it don't always have to be rosy conversations. And this was their conclusion. Couples who spend a larger portion of their time together talking reported greater satisfaction, perceived more positive qualities in their relationships, and experienced greater closeness. You can measure the closeness of a relationship by the amount of time that's spent together. Think about friendships. So, I'm originally from Mississippi. Of course, I don't live there now. All my friends I grew up with were from Mississippi. They don't hardly live there now. And so, guess what? We don't spend time together. So, do you think I'm friends with them? Uh, By Facebook, that's it. (laughs) It's not much of a friendship, is it? And why is that? Is it because I don't like them anymore? No. We don't spend time together. Contrast that With my friendships here, the ones that I do prioritize, I have dinner with, we go on trips with, we watch each other's kids, we watch ball games together, we do things together. So because I'm spending time with those friends, those are the ones that you can measure how close I am. The last relationship, think about a parent and child relationship. This goes without being said, but parents, if you're not spending time with your children, it will damage your children. I think about our own kids. So you, most of you know we have five and we have them from almost 15 to three. And our three-year-old, there ain't no one in the world better than mom and dad. Literally, the first thing she does when she wakes up, where's mom and dad? After going to the snack cabinet. Where's mom and dad? <laughs> where's my what does she do in the middle of the night? Baby, you got your own bed. Why are you crawling in with mom and dad? Because we're the literally the greatest things to her. We're the safest place. It's the place she experiences the most love and warmth and compassion. So naturally she wants to be there. I still hope that's true about my teenagers, but how the relationships shift and change and how the closeness changes based on the types of time we spend together. So, for instance, my teenager and my almost teenager, last summer was a rude awakening for me because dad and mom aren't the greatest thing anymore my friends are the greatest thing now. And so we get things, like. and and I knew I, I can go back on my own life and I can remember the times that I would rather have been hanging out with my friends than being at home. And so I shouldn't have been surprised by all this, but it hit me like a ton of bricks when it finally, when it did happen. And just for instance, one of our daughters, she goes to cheer camp, comes home for a day, leaves for church camp, Comes home from church camp, spends the night with a friend, and then the next day goes to the lake for four days. <laughs> and I can remember when I dropped her off at her friend's house, me and the dad were talking. I was like, man, is is this is this this, this, this normal, right? <laughs> and he says, Yeah. And I had to remind my daughter, I'm dad, and I'm still here. <laughs> so you can just see how the closeness and how th- relationships, especially between parent and children, just change. And how they, how they ebb and flow and what looks different. And you can, like, you just, you, as a parent, you desire to be with your children. Look, I'm just, I'm going on and on about these things. He I want you to see the importance of spending time. And here's what's really unique about this passage, about Jesus, really. Jesus is all three of those relationships to us. All right? So, he's our father. We see that over and over in Scripture. In Hebrews, it tells us he's our friend. And then Ephesians tells us that he's our husband. So, we have a parent relationship with Jesus. We have a friendship with Jesus. And we have a marriage relationship with Jesus. So how important is spending time with him? Which leads me to ask two questions as we bring the plane in for a landing. How do we spend time with Jesus? How do we be with Jesus? And the second question, what stops us from being with Jesus? So if we look at that first one, how are we going to spend time with Jesus? I think it's much simpler than we think it ought to be or that we have in our mind. If you have heard us, if you've been around long enough, you've heard us the ways that disciples be with Jesus are simply through practicing the spiritual disciplines. There's no magic trick. It's simply creating habits of Bible reading, of prayer, of worship, both corporately and privately. You know, like in your car, you're singing to the top of your lungs of the songs. It is fasting, it's silence and solitude. And Donald Whitney gives us a few more things that we can engage in to practice and be with the pre- in the presence of Jesus. He says, um, and Donald Whitney wrote a book about spiritual disciplines. He's a professor at Southern Seminary. He says things like evangelism and serving and giving, journaling. I don't journal. That sounds, that sounds, really sounds awful to me. I've tried it. Maybe I could just have to stick with it. I don't know. I know Jared does a great job. He's got, he, he like, he can pull journals back from 20 years ago. Like, like holy cow, man. <laughs> and I envy that. It's like, man, I want to be able to do that, but I hate it. <laughs> but all of these disciplines are channels. That lead us to being with Jesus. In other words, they're avenues. They're roads that you and I practice and habits that you and I form. That we take on in where Jesus meets us. And we don't have to overthink those disciplines. So now let's stop for a moment and let's just reflect how am I doing on those? I just told you I don't do good at journaling. Sometimes my Bible reading's great. Sometimes my prayer life looks good. Sometimes the people driving next to me can hear me doing personal worship. But if I look over the course of my life, it, over the course of me following Jesus, it really is ebbs and flows. There are seasons of dryness, seasons of plenty. There are mornings that are difficult and there are mornings that are easy. So how are we doing in the areas of being with Jesus? So that leads me to ask, what's stopping us from being with Jesus? And I think there's two things that primarily keep you and I from being with Jesus. The first is how we prioritize our time. The reality is you and I spend our time like we spend our money on whatever we want to. You buy what you want and you spend your time where you want. And oftentimes (laughs) we overspend both money and time. Specifically, Time here, we fill our calendars, we cram our lives with the activities and things that aren't necessarily bad, but just not necessarily what Jesus has called us to do. And it leaves little to no room, no margin to fit Jesus in there. That's what's happening. We fill our calendars with what we want to do, and then we try to fit Jesus into that picture. Where I can stuff him in to make sure I get time with him. And so here's the deal. We prioritize things like this. We prioritize work. I'll get to how these things are still good in a minute. But we overwork. We leave early. We come home late. We are in jobs that require so many hours and so much exhaustion for the sake of a dollar, for the sake of climbing a ladder, for the sake of approval and gaining some type of respect. And it leaves us exhausted, leaves us with no energy to be with Jesus. Another area is kids' activities. So my wife and I's life right now is that we're simply Uber drivers for our children. I see why parents were glad when their children started driving. And so it's like you take them everywhere. And here's the thing. You got dance on Monday. Then you got basketball Tuesday and Thursday. Wednesday afternoon is gymnastics. You don't even go to soccer practice on Friday because something else is going on. And then on Saturday morning you leave for the weekend for a tournament. Where are we fitting Like our lives are so consumed that it's, we can't find spots there to put Jesus in. (laughs) It's a horrible way of saying it, but it's the reality. The other thing we do, hobbies. We haven't prioritized spending any time with Jesus, but we got our hour in at the gym, we got our round of golf in. I got to go spend a day and a half on the lake. I was out on the tennis court for two hours. I was on the deer stand this morning. We do the things We spend our time where we want to spend it. And oftentimes it's over into our hobbies or our kids' activities or our work. And lastly, Sleep. Because our time is so slammed, we leave no room for Jesus because we are too exhausted to spend time with Jesus. And so the free time we have, we sleep. Which is good. You should sleep. But it's like this. I got to be at work at 8. 15 minutes to get there. I can get up at seven and I can be ready in 45 minutes. The reality is, is I can probably do it in 30. So I got a, a time or two that I can hit the snooze button. And so you wait till the last minute to get up, to get ready, brush your teeth out the door. No prioritizing time to just sit with Jesus. And look, all these things are good things. Okay. You've got to work. You've got to make money because you've got to provide shelter and food and clothing and safety. You've got to do that. Look, parents, please go to your children's activities. Be at their ball game. Please do that. I love to watch my kids do the things that they enjoy. Hobbies. These are gifts from God for us to enjoy. By all means, enjoy them. And one day, you'll get to do them perfectly in the new heaven and new earth. And you have to sleep. God made you creatures that sleep. You've got to recover and recharge. So it's not about doing these things. These things are good. It's when we do so much of them that there's no margin of Jesus No margin to spend time with him. And we're trying to stuff him in all of these things. We're not reorienting our life around first and foremost being with Jesus. Then work can come in. Then kids activities can come in. Then sleep can come in. And then hobbies can come in. It's like we do all these things and then we try to put Jesus in somewhere in there. When rather it should be, here's my time with Jesus. Everything else is around that. So now, if that's one area that's stopping us, it would probably be good for us to take a moment, including myself, and ask the Spirit to examine our hearts. To reveal, am I prioritizing my time around Jesus and being with him? Or am I trying to stuff him into everything I'm wanting to do? And it would be good for us to ask the Spirit to reveal any of that and repent of those things to him. But prioritizing our time is just one way that stops us, prevents us from being with Jesus. The other thing I believe that prevents us from being with Jesus is we say things like, Why would Jesus want to be with me? Because of past sin, because of failures and mistakes and brokenness, we carry so much guilt and so much shame that we say, there's no way Jesus wants to be with me. I've done so much wrong. My life is so jacked up. There's no way he could desire to be with me. And if you find yourself saying that, the Bible teaches us and tells us of a truer story. A good news story. First, if you look at the passage there, look at the disciples. So Jesus calls the twelve that he wanted. The passage says he called the people that he desired. They came to him so that they might be with him. Look at who he called it sounds great to be called sons of thunder like we read but that wasn't a compliment these were hair triggered men that would light into you really quickly you had a tax collector he called a hated man you had a zealot you know what a zealot is a political terrorist he called Peter Who he knew would abandon him. Hey, here's what's crazy. He wanted Judas Iscariot knowing Judas would betray him. And if you're still saying, I know, but Luke, you don't know the things that I've done. Scripture still tells us and shows us a story that Jesus desires to be with you. In the Garden of Eden, God has created perfection. And He places Adam and Eve in there. To where they are enjoying perfect communion. A perfect relationship with God. In fact, the Bible tells us He comes in the evenings To walk with them and to hang out with them. And yet Adam and Eve choose to sin. And they disobeyed God. They disbelieved God. They ate the fruit. Sin enters the human race and into the world and fractures everything. Our relationship with God included. Now there is complete separation between God the Father and the human race. And instead of God running away and hiding from them, they ran and hid and God came to find them. God wanted to be with them so much that he comes to find them in their sin and in their shame. And here's what's crazy. He has to remove them from the Garden of Eden. And in the middle of removing them, He gives them this promise. The Jesus Storybook Bible says it this way. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against that snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness that you let in here. I'm coming back for you. Picture this. Adam and Eve have sinned. They're hiding. God comes to find them. And as he has his arms around them, escorting them out of the garden, he's telling them, hey, it ain't, it's not going to always be this way. I'm going to come back for you. Okay? And then I'm going to defeat the snake, and I'm going to get rid of all the sin and the sadness and the darkness that you let in here. I'm going to take care of this. I'm coming back for you. A few thousand years later, guess what? He did exactly that. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, living a perfect life, always in constant relationship, being with God the Father, For eternity, he was like that. He comes and lives the life that you and I were meant to live. And then all of our shame, all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our prioritizing time away from him was nailed on a cross as he hung there. So that now a relationship that had been broken can now be made whole. So now, because of Jesus... Here's here's what happened. Jesus had forever been in perfect relationship with God the Father. Except for the moment He was on the cross. When He was on the cross, the Bible says God turned His back. And Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had to turn His back on His own Son. Because all of my sin and all of your sin was laid on Him. So Jesus took... Separation from God the Father so that you and I could now be joined to God the Father. No matter your past, He had His Son killed on a cross so that He could rescue you. He desires for you to be with Him. So what? Is standing in your way. What is stopping you. From being with Jesus. Whatever it is. You do not have to hide. As Adam and Eve did. You do not have to run. Or be afraid. Because Jesus promises in Matthew 11. He first invites you to come to him. And then he says, and you'll be met with a gentle and lowly spirit. You do not have to hide from Jesus. Jesus will meet you with gentleness. So I'm going to invite our band to come up. And as they're coming up, having examined our own hearts, of where we kind of fall into the, what's stopping us from preventing and preventing us from being with Jesus. Is that our prioritizing our time or is it an unbelief that Jesus wants to be with me? Let today be day one. And to be met with the promise of His new mercies, And begin a life of being with Jesus. And we're going to get to start doing that here. Because we're going to get to practice spiritual disciplines together. We're going to sing some more songs. We're going to take communion. We're going to have the opportunity to give. And let these next moments be an avenue where Jesus will meet you and you can be with him. Let's pray together. Jesus, the psalmist declares that your nearness is our, for our good. So help us to be with you here. You are already here. Tune our hearts to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.